0: All right, so we're going to continue on this morning with our series that we started last week called uh, Gospel Restoration, where for the next several weeks, we're going to take a look at um, the fullness, the full story of the gospel. Now, when we talk, now gospel is a weird word, Um, you know, it's not necessarily a word that's used in everyday life. It's a very churchy word. Um, and maybe when, you, I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of gospel. Maybe it's a, uh, you know, a very spirited choir or, you know, who, who knows what, what it is that comes to your mind. But um, but when we're talking about the gospel in terms of uh, biblically speaking, gospel, that word literally means good news, good news. In fact, gospel wasn't even a Christian term. it's a It's a term that Christians stole. It was just a normal Greek Uh, word that usually when somebody had a gospel message there would be like a town crier that would stand up on a big pedestal and say hey we won a big battle somewhere or something like that or it's the emperor's birthday or you know what and they just make this good news announcement and so uh, the christians kind of looked at these good news gospel announcements and go "If, if anybody's got good news it's us and so they kind of so now uh, they they were like we're taking that term and using it for ourselves and and uh, and now we we completely own it it's trademarked by us and we get all the money off of it and I'm, I don't I'm just use so anyway but yeah it's our term now right and so um, so but what has happened over the years now a lot of times when you think of Christianity versus say um, oh I don't know uh, Buddhism or or the Hindu religion or things like that where a lot of times you'll compare those. Say Western religions versus Eastern religions, right? And Eastern religions, team. Uh, I don't know if you've, you've spent much time looking at Eastern religions. They uh, there's a lot of like uh, uh, um, I don't know how to describe it. Kind of flowery languages, little 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 statements that tell a short story to make a point, and, and uh, they, you know they don't do theology so much in in uh, in Buddhism and, and, and the Hindu uh, faith, and it's just it's it's very. Um, um, it 's much more abstract, I guess, in the way that they teach and uh, but one of the things that we have lost sight of is that Christianity and Judaism um, actually were Eastern religions. We have westernized it and we have created theology classes and systematized it and that sort of thing. but initially that 's not the way the faith was taught in fact, I mean, that's why G, one of the reasons that Jesus spoke so much in parables, he would just tell these stories to make these points. Because why? Because people identify with stories. People get hooked into a story. People feel a story and uh, and, and they don't necessarily feel bullet points. Right. And uh, but Western thinking, you know, has kind of, uh, you know, taken that and, 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 and changed it around. So I say all that to say this, that The gospel, the good news of of Jesus Christ and God coming to save mankind from their own sin. And it is the most epic story that was ever written. It is the most beautiful, beautiful story. And it's true and it's real. But what has happened is that we have taken, uh, we have gotten away from telling the fullness of the gospel story to go on, you know, to kind of, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll preach a feel-good message. And then it's like, hey, if you want to, you know, you need Jesus. And so if you want Jesus, then raise your hand. And people slip up a hand or come down here and, and pray with you. And, you know, it's just like raise your hand or say a prayer. And then you've got Jesus. And then and it's like we, we've kind of, we've made everything, given everything a formula. And, and and I think we have lost so much by getting away from the greatest story ever told and maybe the greatest story that you've never heard because we have, we have, it's so much easier just to formulize everything about our life. That's Western thinking, right? But I, 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 what I want to uh, contend with in this, in this series is that I think if we get back to the fullness of the gospel story, there'll be some things there, even if you've been a Christian for a lot of years, Maybe there'll be some puzzle pieces that fall into, fall into place for you that have never fallen into place for you before, and it, some light bulbs will go off, and you'll be like, oh, that makes so much more sense, and that's why we need Jesus, and that's, you know, it, it'll just begin to make sense. One of the things that's really important to remember is that uh, this gospel story that uh, has also kind of been uh, taken over by Gentiles, Gentiles is the kind of Bible word for uh, probably what most of us are in this room, non-Jewish people. Um, and this all started off as a very Jewish story. And and I, and, and I think you're going to find as we move through this, through this story that it still very much is a very Jewish story. But the game has changed. The game has changed. We'll get there in a few weeks. All right? So last week we started off the story <coughs> with the story of creation. We have to start at the beginning. The beginning of the story, in a nutshell, is that God created everything that there is. There's a God, and he created everything that there is, and he did it perfectly. Everything was perfect. Everything. He goes, you know, day by day in his creation account, and he creates everything there is, and everything is good. Oh, he creates something that day, and it's good, and he creates something the next day, and that's good. He gets to the sixth day, he creates us people, and he looks at it, and he says, oh, that's very good. That's very good. Everything was perfect. He created us perfectly. He created us uh, with a role, uh, a purpose in our life, a job to do, uh, you know, in in terms of just the way that we live our lives, a purpose for us. Uh, He created it to where we lived in perfect union with him, uh, that he literally walked through the garden with with Adam and Eve, that, that there was just this real community, like tangible community between humans and God. He, create, he He placed them in a perfect garden uh, where all their needs were met. He created them with that with zero sense of shame to where they were able to just walk naked in the garden and not have any sense of uh, oh crud, I'm naked. You know, have anybody, anybody ever had the naked dream where you're like naked at school or you're naked at work or whatever? You don't have to raise your hand. I'll raise my hand. I have it all the time. I don't know why. I don't, don't, don't try to figure that out for me. I really don't want to know why. But, uh, but yeah, I have the no pants at school dream on a re- relatively regular basis. And, uh, I don't know why I'm telling you that right now. <laughs> and so anyway, but, but, but there's that, when you have that dream, there's this like real sense of, ah, why am I at school, no pants, you know, it's just, it's a horrible feeling, you know, it's just awful. And, and he creates Adam and Eve with zero sense of that. It was, I mean, they, every day was no pants dance off in in the garden of Eden, right? I mean, they were just, they were completely content, completely without shame, completely without any kind of uh uh difficulties with their body image or anything like that. They just were able to exist the way God created them and just it was awesome, right? God creates everything perfect. That's what we we talked about. Now we talked about last week how you can look at creation and look at all that and go, "Okay, something got seriously off track because it's no longer the way God created it." I mean, you can, it doesn't take very long at all to look around and go, "Okay, yeah, things have changed a lot." Um, and so, what the story that we're going to tell today, uh, the second part of this story, is that this is where everything gets off base. Okay, so let's 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 dive in and look at um, Genesis chapter three. Last week, we started on page one. This week, we're gonna be on page two if you got a Bible from the back or any other Bible in the world, probably. Um, Page two, Genesis chapter three. uh, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter two. We're gonna gonna look at this little snippet from Genesis chapter two and then we're gonna move to chapter three. So it starts off like this. It says, the Lord God. (laughs) Now, in some of your Bibles, it might look like, it looks there where the, the, uh, the, the word Lord is all in all caps. If if your Bible writes it out like that, it's actually trying to do you a favor. Um, Whenever you see the word Lord written out in all caps, it's an English translation of the word Yahweh, Yahweh. And in Jewish uh, uh, literature, uh, Yahweh is the name of God. The name for God and and they would never completely write out the word Yahweh in fact they would do kind of a uh, abbreviate, abbreviated version of it and they would just go like yhwh in our you know English sensibilities that's what it would look like uh, and so anytime you see that it's actually calling God by name yeah and so so if actually I think it would have been better if our translators would have written out Yahweh God because I think that's a, probably a more accurate translation but anyway So the Lord God, Yahweh God, took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Now this wasn't like work, like we know work. It was just, he he set him there with a sense of purpose and it was very fulfilling a role for him, a vocation for him. And the Lord God, Yahweh God, commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, You shall surely die. Now, um, this passage right here, I don't know how you look at that. I've heard it preached a dozen different ways and taught a dozen different ways. Um, and, And I think in our, again, kind of modern sensibilities, we look at that and go, okay, God creates everything perfect. I mean, just beautiful, beautiful perfection. And then he sticks this one tree in the middle of the garden. He's like, okay, you can have everything, but not that one. Not that one, right? And um, have you ever seen those experiments where they put a kid in a room with a cookie? You know what I'm talking about? Where they stick a kid in a room at a table with a cookie, and they're like, like okay, I'm going to give you this cookie, but you can't eat it yet. And I'm going to leave. I'll be right back. And the kids are like staring at the cookie, breaking out in a cold sweat, and you know, that sort of thing. And I think we look at the story and go, wow, that was kind of tricky, kind of, kind of shady maybe on God's part to say you could eat everything, but not this one. Don't touch this one right? Almost as if God's trying to tempt man and, and, and try to tempt us. Like he knows, he knows everything, right? He's God. And so he knows the decisions that are going, that are going to be made. He knows uh, that this is, you know, that man's going to sin. Why would he, why would he do that? Why would he put that in there? Uh, it's just, it just seems tricky and shady. And, and, uh, and, and, and maybe you look at it like that. I, 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 want, to, I want to challenge you, to, if, if that's the way you look at it, to look at it in a little bit different way. Um, I remember one time when I was a kid, um, my dad had made uh, plans for us to go fishing. And uh, I think I was about junior high age. And and so getting ready to go fishing and we, you know, we we're kind of getting around and right just a, about an hour or so before we were going to leave to go, a, a friend showed up at my house. And he's like, hey, a bunch of us are doing this. I don't remember what it was, but he's, he's like, you know, I want you, you know, you want to come do this with us. And I really wanted to do that. You remember, I, I, like I was like I really wanted to hang out with this friend, and I remember uh, I, I knew like my dad was looking forward to this time with me, and I remember uh, going to my dad and saying, you know, this kid, you know, has invited me to this, and I, re- I really want to go. and And I remember my dad, you know, like my dad, could have said, no, we made plans. Tell your friends, no, let's go. Instead, what he did was he said, you know what? It, 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 it's up to you. It's up to you. And I can remember, like, I didn't want to disappoint. In fact, I remember having that conversation with my dad. I don't want to disappoint you. I know you were looking forward to this. And and he's like, really, I want you to choose. You choose whatever you want. And so I chose to go hang out with my friends that day, even though I know it probably hurt my dad a little, a little bit because he was looking forward to that time. Actually, he went fishing anyway. He probably had the time of his life without me. Uh, but but it was, you know, but I I remember him giving me that that sense of, that, that ability to, to choose rather than forcing me to go with him. And and this is really the picture of what's happening in this this story. It's not God putting an obstacle there that he knows we're going to trip over and and saying, I'm going to catch him. I know, you know, whatever. It's God, well, this is the point I want to make. Go ahead and put that point up there. The second most loving thing God ever did for us, he gave us a choice. The first most loving thing he ever did for us was send his son to die for us we're going to get get to get to that part of the story eventually too but the second most loving thing God ever did for us is that he gave us a choice he could have chosen in his infinite wisdom and perfect created order to control us like puppets to put he could have hardwired our DNA to where we we just love him without any sense of choice or any it just kind of it's just who we are. We just love. I mean, we'd be like, you know, a dog, you know, uh, things that are instinctive to a dog or whatever like that. He could have he could have made love for him just a part of our instincts. Instead he, instead, he loved us so much that he didn't want to force us to love him. And he creates us with this sense of choice. And that tree in the middle of the garden that he said, I don't want you to eat from that tree. Anything else? You. It's basically him going... There's a choice here. You can stick with me. I'll take care of everything. I'll make sure your every need is met. I'll make sure you live a long, 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 maybe even infinite life at this point. I'll I'll, I'll keep you free from pain and death and brokenness and everything else that we all experience now. Or, or you don't, have to, you don't have to stick with me. You can, you can go your own way, but when you go your own way, you're going to find out that when you're far from me, there are consequences to making a choice of being far from me. And he gives them that choice. The second most loving thing he ever did for us. I actually. I want you to begin to challenge yourself to look at that as, as one more kind of area where God is just loving and beautiful. I mean, how many times have we seen throughout history that when people are it's, it's, this is why this is why it, it usually is a massive failure when we try to legislate morality. When we try to legislate now, there's some areas of morality that we have to legislate and it's all healthy and good, but a lot of areas when we try to legislate morality, people will find a way around it and they'll rebel against it and that sort of thing. And God knows knew that you know He had created us this way; He wanted to give us the ability to choose. So that's what he does. So let's skip on over to chapter three. Chapter three. <clears throat> Pardon me. Start with verse one. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Now the serpent, the snake in this story is, is actually Satan. It never comes out and says that it's Satan, but in the in the end of the Bible and when we get to the book of Revelation, John identifies uh, Satan as the ancient serpent, the the one from of old. And so this is actually Satan come to tempt Adam and Eve. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, And they made themselves loincloths. Verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So, again, perfect creation, perfect unity between God and man. And then this temptation comes up. Satan gets involved and he's like, you know, is this what God said? And yeah, this is what God said. And he's like, yeah, that's not really true. God doesn't want you to do that because he doesn't want you to be like him so they're tempted and they see they look at it they see that it looks good and it's probably going to taste good and you know they desire it so they eat of this fruit that they were told not to eat and then immediately they become ashamed that they're naked they immediately know that they have sinned against God and let him down and they begin to hide from him god's looking for them he's come for their walk that they normally take together and they're hiding this is what happens that because of sin, our relationship with God is broken. Because sin came into the world, our relationship with God is broken. Everything changed after this point. Adam and Eve, the prototype human beings, uh, brought sin into the world. And, and, and before you get too hard on Adam and Eve, remember that um, you also continually bring sin into the world yourself, right? Bring sin into the world, and our relationship with God is broken. A holy, holy, perfect, just, loving, righteous God cannot be in the presence of sin. And his perfect creation that he loved and said was very good, us, had sinned against him, and so that relationship became broken. And it's been broken ever since. So much of what we go through as people in this world goes back to the fact that we are in a broken relationship with our creator. So much of the pain, and so much of the um, stuff that we wrestle with internally goes back to the fact that we need God and we're far from him. Now, before, before I go too much further, I'm going to tell you, there's going to be a little hint of gospel in this week's lesson, but not much. And that's on purpose. I want you to feel a little bit of the angst of being apart from God and what the fall has done here. Now, just so you know, Jesus loves you, and the story ends really well for us, okay? But we're not going to get there today. But our relationship with God is broken. Let's keep reading. Verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was a naked I was naked and I hid myself. God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it. That's typical. (laughs) 14, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, talking to the snake now, Lord God says to the serpent, because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. Get this part. And he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is, uh, a lot of theologians call this last verse I just read, the proto-gospel. The first evidence of gospel in the Bible. Already in chapter 3, God begins to reveal a little bit of the gospel. When he says to the serpent, he says, "You know, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. Her offspring will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. And it's a little foreshadowing that one day, the, the, the offspring of Adam and Eve, a man by the name of Jesus, will crush the head of Satan, will defeat him. Satan will get in his punches too, but he won't be victorious, that Jesus will ultimately win. The point I want to make here is this, put that one up, that God initiates the gospel before we're even fully aware of our need for it. I mean, uh, Adam and Eve are just coming to grips with everything that's changing and what's happening and having this conversation. And right there from the beginning, God initiates the gospel before they even really were fully aware of it. And I want to tell you that so much of, one of the reasons I love God so much is that he still continues to do this in our life over and over and over, that God often starts working on solutions to our problems before we even know we have a problem. There's so many times in hindsight, you can look at the way things were orchestrated and the way God took care of you. And, and God had started to work on a solution to an issue that I have had before I even knew I had an issue. He's just God, and he loves us like that. Like, even in our sin, even in our rebelliousness, he's just a, I love that song that, we, that we've been singing, like, he's just a good, good father. He's a good father. He loves us the way that a good father is going to love us. Verse uh, 16. To the woman, he said, I'll surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. This is a weird verse. So God's kind of telling, uh, you know, everybody the consequences of their sin. And he gets to the woman, he's like, okay, this is the deal. Uh, childbirth is going to hurt. Childbirth, and you're going to, the way you bring these kids up, it's going to be painful. It's going to be painful. Then he, said, then he has this weird, uh, very uh, sexist, uh, statement that we might, you might look at and go, that's really sexist. Uh, and he said, he says this, uh, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. It's actually, uh, I, th- I think a poor wording of what God was trying to get across, uh, here. The English translation is kind of a poor wording. Your desire shall be for your husband. What he's really telling the woman is that you're going to constantly want to kind of Lord over your husband. You're going to constantly want to take his place. And and, and then when he says, uh, and, and and he shall rule over you, you know what he's going to want to do? He's going to want to try to abuse his power and his position and his authority over you. And what God is saying is that not only are you going to experience pain in childbirth, pain in bringing them up, but there's going to be natural kind of conflict between you and your husband. It's going to be hard for you to avoid it. Anybody here uh, married identify with, okay, yeah, that one came true? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Or or anybody with kids can say, yeah, that one absolutely came true. Yeah, so uh, what the point that God is making with Eve is this. I tried to just kind of distill it down to one little statement. Go ahead and put that one up there. Because of sin, relationships are often going to be painful. Because of sin, relationships are going to be difficult and they're going to be painful. That when, because Because we chose to go our own path and every single one of us have have in like manner chose to go our own path at one time or another and multiple times relationships are going to be hard they're going to be painful in our life you're going to have difficulty with your family you're going to have difficulty with your friends you're going to have difficulty with your coworkers and with other people in your life relationships don't come easy there's a reason for that You know, we we can sit around and go, well, you know, everybody's got a different personality and that's why it is. And the real reason why is we chose to go our own way. Look at the next passage, verse 17. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, you've eaten of and eaten, have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. And by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. I just (laughs) find is anybody eating so much bread and you start sweating? Um, I don't think that's what I was trying to say, but anyway. Um, (laughs) So... He, he tells uh, Adam that, you know, the, the consequence of you choosing to go in your own way, the natural consequence of this is, is this is what's going to happen. Um, your relationship with nature is going to be broken. In fact, go ahead and put that statement up there. Because of sin, we, we'll, we'll struggle with nature. Making a li- living is oftentimes difficult. And death is certain. Death is certain. Because of sin... We have this nat- this relationship with nature now where it doesn't come easy to us. And it seems like man is constantly pitted against nature or we're abusing nature or nature is kicking our butt or, you know, whatever it is. I mean, there's just this struggle to oftentimes you talk to the farmers that are completely surround this this town. They will tell you not every year is an easy year to get a crop out, that sometimes they struggle and sometimes things are lost and money is Completely gone, and it, it's a difficult, difficult process. Beyond just struggling with nature, just the idea of making a living, providing for you and your family, you're going to have to do it. You're going to have to put a little sweat into that. It's going to be difficult. It's not always going to be easy. And maybe you're, you know, you're not a, uh, you know, maybe your your job is not physical to where you're sweating a lot, but maybe uh, the the time it's taken off your ticker because of the stress and everything else that you have. It's just that that whole process is not going to be easy. Maybe it takes you away from your family more than you wish it would. Maybe it takes you away from what you feel like is your true calling, the vocation you wish you could do with your life more than it, than it should. But making a living is sometimes going to be difficult. And the last thing is this, that because of sin, death is now certain. certain. It's certain. There's this sense, and I don't know, I don't quite know how to make sense of it, but we get, the, we get the sense that in God's perfect created order, death was not a part of that plan. Death was somehow not a part of that plan. That's why it drives me crazy when, when people die and, uh, and, and, and a, a minister or somebody tries to go comfort uh, the, the people who are left behind. They say, well, you know, it's all part of God's plan. And I just want to scream and say, no, this was not part of God's plan. God's plan was life. And he has a plan to restore it back to that again someday. But now death is certain. It's just a part of life. It's just a part of life. When somebody close to you dies, when you get the diagnosis that you're going to die soon, by the way, I'm giving you that diagnosis, you're all going to die sometime it's not God picking you on you. It's just, this is just life. This is just life. So we go from this state of created perfection where God had created everything that he wanted us to live in and have and and enjoy and and be fulfilled and uh, spiritually and vocationally and everything else. And then sin comes into the world because God gave us a choice. He didn't want to control us like little puppets. He gave us a choice and we chose to go our own way and still do choose to go our own way. And God God just kind of like a good father looks at us. He loves us. He pursues us. He chases after us. As we're going to see as the rest of this story unfolds, that chase just gets more and more intense. But he also goes, okay, I'm just going to, let you experience the consequence of that decision. Decisions have consequences. How many times have you ever found yourself in a situation where, you know, you screwed up, you did something you knew you shouldn't do, and you start experiencing the natural hard consequences of that decision, and I've heard so many people say, uh, once they start experiencing those consequences, like, why does God hate me? Why, why is he picking up? Like, why, why What have I... What? It's like God didn't hate you. You chose to go your own way, and now there, there's some things you're going to have to deal with because you chose to go your own way. This is, I'm going to give you a little glimpse of hope before we dismiss, okay? <laughs> Just a little bit. And it's this, uh, like, we, like we talked about earlier. God, in this story, in this moment of, you know, one of the darkest moments of human history, he initiates a plan. I mean, if I'm God in this situation, I'm like squish, squish, starting over, right? That's what I'm doing. But God doesn't do that. God instead looks at this situation and immediately goes, okay, I'm going to have to fix this. And then he knows, and they get this, we're going to get there soon. He knows the only way to fix this is for him to experience a little pain himself. And he loves us that much that he's willing to do that. And if you're here in the room today, now if you're you're already a follower of Jesus Christ, you you know how the story ends and you know it's all good and it's all gonna be great. If you're here and you're relatively new to the faith and you're still trying to figure things out and you don't know what you think about Christianity, can I just say, I guarantee you, you can look at life and maybe more personally look at your own life and go, this is not the way I want things to be. I know somehow, some way things could be better than this. I wish I knew how to make them better. And I want to tell you that there is a God who created everything, who loved us so much to create everything perfectly. And even after we screwed up his perfect creation, loves us still so much that he has gone to extreme measures to make a way for you to be in relationship with him again. And he wants to set everything right in your life. And he will if you'll let him. He will. And so I want to challenge you to allow God to, to be God in your life. Choose to go His way instead of your own way, and see what happens. Let's pray. Father God, I love you so much. I thank you <clears throat> that even when we, on a day when we read kind of a uh, maybe dark or depressing part of this beautiful story, as the tension builds for you to be the hero in this story uh, that we see glimpses of hope in it. Thank you that even before we know there are issues, you begin working out solutions. Thank you that you did not give up on us, but instead began to chase after us. We love you. God, if there's anybody in the room that, that knows they are far from you and desires to be in relationship with you, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would just draw them in, that they could just... Right where they sit, just in the quiet of this moment, begin to uh, just, just reach out to you and pray to you and begin to move closer to you. Your Holy Spirit would lead them to want to give their life to you and try following you instead of following their own sinful desires. Follow your plan for their life instead of their often broken plan for their life. God, we want to make you Lord of our life. We have tried things our way and it never goes well. And so we want to give you the opportunity to make it right. So we commit ourselves to you one more time. And we ask you to be the Lord and Savior of our life. We pray all this in Jesus' name.